0: Christmas cards starting a new series today I'm excited about it. How, how many uh send out Christmas cards let me see your hand you're still doing that most of you a lot of you that's really great of you guys you guys are awesome thoughtful and thinking those doing all that sweet stuff that's wonderful there's all kinds of cards uh no we get cards at our house I don't know how many we send out do we send any cards out baby we do she she does okay good she does, okay. Uh, you know, so you get the cards, and sometimes you hang them in your house by the mantel or the fireplace, or you put them in, you know, we, ours usually get stuffed in a basket, and then they just, uh, we read them and look at them, and it's great, and we get cards from some of you guys, and that's also nice. Cards come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Kind of, uh, this is one right here. This is kind of a, a scene of uh, blue, uh, Redbirds and uh, cardinals and a snow scene and it's really pretty and there's a school in the background and snow everywhere not likely to see much snow here but a sweet card nonetheless here's one with snowmen snowmen are always hot they make great cards and uh here again, we haven't built a snowman here in about eight or nine years, but uh, we send those cards out, and they work out real good. Here's just kind of a teddy bear scene. These are some cards we had at the house. It's a teddy bear, and you got a church in the background, and snow, and so we did that. That, that kind of thing goes out, and that's just kind of a real nice scene, kind of warm, fuzzy. And then uh, here's one of the old classic Santa Claus. And so we got Santa and the sleigh and the gifts and all of that kind of stuff going on. And so we have those kind of cards that go out. And then these are getting more and more popular, the family scenes. And uh, somebody sends a family and you get Merry Christmas on it. And I have no idea who these people are. It was, uh, we got this. It's some of her friends, I guess. So uh, probably wonderful people. Uh, and, and don't you love it too when they, when they send that family card and you get that eight page letter and you got to read their whole life story uh so if you do that that's great but keep everybody informed but uh i don't always have time to read every line of those letters so if i don't get yours read i'm sorry about that uh we're going to show you some christmas cards over the next four weeks i'm going to show you cards from the people who were actually there who were actually there at that very first christmas And what kind of card would they write and what would that look like and what would their story say? And so many times when we get these cards, what we get today is the sanitized version. It's the cleaned-up version. It's the Mary with the halo around her head, you know, and it's kind of glowing, and, and you get the whole uh, uh, kind of Mary sainthood kind of thing going on, and that's what you see, and you see a very clean manger and a very clean scene and a very nice-looking backdrop and all that kind of stuff. I want to tell you, it wasn't like that. We're going to go back and maybe take a look at time and see what it was really like and what the events were surrounding that took place. So take your Bibles out. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, and let's stand together to read God's word this morning. Luke 1, and we'll begin with verse number 26 today. Luke 1 and 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and she who has, has said is barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. Father, I need your help again today. Open up the word of God. May it come alive this morning. May it just find great fertile ground that it will grow and spring up in our hearts and lives. May we learn some wonderful lessons from Mary and how it will affect and impact each and every one of us. We love you, God. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We ask all this in your name. Amen. And amen. Turn to someone, ask them if they send a card out, and if you've got one coming to you, and then you may be seated. I get it. You weren't going to get a card, were you, until you said something to them. Now, now they've got to send you one. <laughs> I want you to go back to this scene. This scene is not a sanctified, clean, wonderful, clear look that might fit on the front of a card. What you have is a very, very frightened, very disturbed, very troubled Mary. The Bible says a couple things that describe her. She was greatly troubled, and then it says again, she was afraid. There was no glow around her head There was nothing like that going on. There was no smile on her face, no peaceful look of contentment. She is upset because Mary's entire world is about to be rocked. Nothing would ever be the same again. She is about to live through maybe the greatest scandal that would have happened in her hometown at that time. And she's going to experience All those kind of things. Her whole world is about to be upside down. In a closely knit, small Jewish community, the news that the angel brought to Mary could not have been more challenging, could not have been more difficult to handle. Mary had what we would call a conundrum. Ever heard of that conundrum? Great word. I always like to have my word of the day. The word of the day is conundrum. And, and and the and the word conundrum simply means this: a confusing or difficult problem or question. A confusing or difficult problem or question. It's kind of the proverbial caught between a rock and a hard place. And that's where Mary finds herself. She is in a conundrum. She is caught between the rock and the hard place. What am I going to do now? This is no easy decision. It is no easy matter. And I will tell you, all of us face those times in our own lives where we have our own conundrums, those, those times we don't know what, what to do and which way to turn and, and, and how much of this we should take in, in ourselves, and we have those conundrums. So the question for us today is, how do we respond when we have our own dilemma, maybe in some ways kind of how Mary responded and how she made it through her dilemma, And her conundrum. There's three challenges that she is actually going to face. And I want to give those to you. And the first is simply this. She has to choose between the favor of man or the favor of God. She must choose between the favor of man or the favor of God. Look again at verse 28. (coughs) Excuse me. It says, uh, and the angel went and said to her, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Highly favored. Notice those words. You are highly favored. God is saying, what is about to happen to you is a good thing. You are special. You are favored. You have been chosen by God. You're going to receive his grace in an extraordinary way. You are highly favored. The problem is, it would not seem like that to the rest of the community around her. Now, in Luke two fifty two, it describes Jesus Christ growing up. And he's been in the temple. He's 12 years of age. He's confounded uh, the wise men in the temple area. And there's a line. There's one line at the end of that chapter that kind of defines all of Jesus growing up years. And it simply said this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and the favor with God and with man. So he had favor of God and he had the favor of man. And everybody liked Jesus because he loved people and he did good things. And so they all loved Jesus in those early days until they begin to turn on them, and you know the rest of the story. It will be ideal, it's always ideal when I have, when we have in ourselves both the favor of God and the favor of man. And sometimes that happens, and sometimes when you love people and you do what God did and you live like Jesus lived, you will get the favor of man and you will have the favor of God. But there are times when you have to make a choice between the two because your decision might not always be popular with everybody else. And you have to choose, do I want the favor of God? Am I going to be a God-pleaser first above everything else? Or am I going after the favor of man and the popularity of man? And is that going to be my mission in life and my goal in life? And there are times when the two are mutually exclusive and they cannot come back together again. You've got to make a choice. I will tell you the favor of God is always the most important For Mary, her acceptance of God's favor. Behold, you're highly favored. You're going to have Jesus Christ. He's going to be born in you. For her, the acceptance of God's favor was a risk that she would have to take. And the risk would mean family rejection and disapproval. Possibly if she's found pregnant and she's not yet married and the marriage has not been consummated, it's going to mean rejection by her family. I mean, you don't do this as a little Jewish teenage girl. The stigma of a young girl being pregnant outside of marriage. And you can imagine in that hometown all the speculation of swirling. Who could the father be? And there's probably a, a short list there and some may have thought Joseph couldn't wait and maybe it still is Joseph or, or maybe it's the barn tender or maybe it's somebody else. Uh, but I tell you who wasn't on their list, the Holy Spirit. Probably wasn't on their list of suspects of who could the daddy be. And the family would experience shame and embarrassment at Mary's pregnancy. And then there was the public disapproval. You can imagine in a small town, gossip swirling everywhere, and this is kind of a soap opera that's going on all around her. Matthew 1:18, when it describes her as being pregnant, says she was found to be with child." What does that mean? It meant she began to show. She got fat. She's pregnant. It's going to happen. Listen, let let me give you a little pointer. (laughs) Don't ever go into the welcome center and meet your guest and say, by the way, when's that baby due?" (laughs) That's a no-no, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, But you know, there just comes that point in time when that tiny little girl begins to show and we know she hasn't put on weight because she's eating too many burritos. She is putting on weight because Jesus is growing inside of her. And then she risks losing her fiance. You've got Joseph in this whole picture and by the way do not miss next week we're going to look at a Christmas card from Joseph. And an incredible love story. So do not miss next Sunday morning. But her fiance is a man by the name of Joseph. And, and, and so you can imagine all these emotions that Joseph's going through. And he feels like he's been betrayed. And she's cheated on him. And, and, and all this is going through his mind. Uh, she would be branded as an adulteress. Uh, now, now Joseph could have been mean and had her stoned to death. Just drug her in front of everybody. He could have been bitter and angry and said just kill her right now on the spot. They weren't doing that too much at the time of jesus christ although they could still implement stoning as a as a penalty for adultery and so he the bible says he chose because he cared about her to put her away privately and not exposure to public shame or embarrassment but she risked everything losing her fiance losing her future husband uh her reputation her future financial security even possibly her own life all for choosing the favor of the lord And there are times in our lives when we will have that same choice to make. It's a conundrum. What am I going to do? Choose to be popular with man and choose to be a man pleaser or choose to have the favor of God and please the Lord? What am I going to choose in my life? Now listen to me. We know from the text God chose Mary. But Mary also had to choose God. Because as you read the passage, Mary could have said, not me, you got the wrong person, and really turned God down, right? He wasn't going to force Jesus Christ into her womb. She could have said, no, find somebody else. So she also had to make a choice to choose the Lord. So what does she say? Beat it unto me according to thy word. Yes, God, whatever your word says, I will do it. I read verse 28, and it has the phrase in there, highly favored. Highly favored is from the Greek word karito, kiritu, and uh, the, the root word of that is charis, which means grace. So when it says you are highly favored, it, it also could be translated you are filled with grace. It's karitu, grace, filled with grace. It, she had, it's the idea of a person being uniquely privileged by God or receiving his grace. Interesting, it is the very same word that is used in Ephesians chapter one and verse number six when he describes us. And he says, we have been called to the praise of his glorious grace, kiritu, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now listen to me, we have all been blessed by the prevenient grace of God and God has given us a unique assignment to carry out but we have to decide, God, am I going to accept your grace and I'm going to accept your assignment or am I going to reject it and say, no, that's not for me. God has chosen us and God has blessed us. And even though Mary's grace would be very, very unique and that she would be the only one to ever carry Jesus Christ in her womb, uh, I will tell you, everybody who comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ living inside of them. We are the temple of the living God. And you have a choice to make. Am I going to receive Jesus and His grace and allow Him to live inside of me? Am I also going to be highly favored by God or am I going to reject that? Got the same choice Mary had. God is still seeking vessels with whom He can pour out His grace and His power. You are highly favored. But it does require our acceptance. It does require our acceptance. Jesus still will not force himself on anybody. Mary was not forced to receive her mission. But she says, may it be to me as you have said, according to your word, God is still seeking willing vessels who will trust in him. And often when we accept that grace of God, it comes with a double-edged sword. And by that I mean we are blessed with his love and his grace and his favor, but at the same time we may lose the favor of man. We may not be as popular. We won't go to the same places we used to go. Our friendships are going to begin to change. It may affect your marriage if your spouse is not saved. It it may affect everything you do and everything around you, but you still have to make that choice. Philip Yancey makes this quotation. Often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in the matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both. Ultimately, the will of God is more important than the opinions of men. Are you concerned with God's will more than anything else in your life? And so Mary was the first to accept Jesus Christ on his terms. And even though she would be afraid, and even though she would be troubled, and even though it may be hard, she accepted Jesus Christ on his terms, regardless of the cost. And every single person who says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the word of God still says, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me, the requirements are still the same. It's a conundrum. What are you going to choose? The second conundrum is this. There was a confusion for Mary the confusion of the moment or trusting God's eternal plan or long-range plan. There's always that conundrum. Do I, do I respond to the, the pressure of the moment, either cave in or respond in the wrong way, or do I see God's bigger plan being worked out look at verses 32 and 33 he gives her a hint of this long-range plan he says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom will never never end now to mary it seemed like the wrong time this is not the right time to get pregnant this this could seem like god you're making a mistake here this has got to be the wrong time this is not the right time to have a baby I am just engaged to Joseph we are in a marital contract that will not be consummated for the rest of this year it's not completed and for Mary it probably seemed like the wrong place not the right place to, for all this to be carried out because the census is going to force her to leave this small town of Nazareth and travel all the way to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant, eight and a half months pregnant. She's going to make that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so it definitely wasn't the right place to be traveling on a donkey that far along in your pregnancy and she would be in a strange town and she would uh, strangers all around there would be no family and no friends and her and joseph would literally give birth in isolation in a smelly stable and so to her it's the wrong place it's the wrong time But when the flies begin to fill the air in that stable and the unpleasant aroma fills all the senses, uh, everything about the situation says there's no hope. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. God, I don't know what's going on right now, but God has provision that always says his grace is sufficient. And so whatever time you find yourself in and whatever place you find yourself in at any time in your life, God has a plan for you a supernatural plan that he wants to work out in your life there are times we face certain situations and we want to cry out god what's going on this doesn't make sense this can't be happening right now this is not what i signed up for it's the wrong time Your are timing gods it's all wrong uh, this is the wrong place it doesn't make any sense at all this can't be happening now but I would tell you if as a Christ follower when you follow Jesus Christ sometimes you only get one piece of the puzzle. You know, you guys are some of you guys are puzzle builders in here. You get that small little piece. There's no way you can look at that puzzle and figure out what the end product's going to look like. And it looks really stupid and doesn't fit in and it doesn't make sense and it's all jagged and it's got all these shapes around it and it just doesn't add up. And on the surface, the situation can look and you shake your head and say it doesn't make sense at all. But it's not until the rest of the puzzles begin to join on to the other pieces of the puzzle that all of a sudden a beautiful picture begins to take shape. Right? And in that day, we will understand we don't understand all of God's ways now. So I'm sorry, we don't get it all. We get a piece of the puzzle here, and a piece here, and a piece here. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And Mary is getting one piece of God's fuller plan. But I will tell you, the rest of the puzzles are you and I. Did you get that? We're the rest of the puzzle. It's the church. And he he gives her a hand. He says, Mary, this is Jesus. He's going to save the world from his sins. Uh, He is the son of God. uh, And and he is going to reign forever and ever and ever. And so she gets that one snapshot, that one piece of the puzzle. But who are the rest of the puzzle pieces? Everybody who comprises the church of the living God. And you put it all together and you get a beautiful picture. Hallelujah. Oh, that's exciting. Jesus would be our Savior. That's the rest of the puzzle. Jesus would give his life a ransom for sinners. Jesus would be crucified on the cross and he would die and he would take my place and he would rise again on the third day. And in that resurrection and in that crucifixion, he would defeat every single one of his enemies, even the last enemy called death. I want to tell you, that's the rest of the puzzle, my friends. And he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And God knows all about you and he knows all about me. And he has a sovereign time and a plan for every single one of us. And even though there were times I just couldn't figure out, God, what in the world are you doing? You've messed this one up royally. It was just a small piece in the puzzle of my life that God will use to make into who I am today. All those things we don't understand can work together for our good, for our God and his glory. So we have to put our trust in a good God even when I don't understand what's going on. Wow. What a lesson. The third conundrum that Mary faces is this. You can either accept the status quo or you can trust God for a miracle. We can either accept the status quo, the way things are, the way they've always been, or we can trust God for his great miracle listen to the rest of verse 37 and 38 he says in 37 for nothing is impossible with god i am the lord's servant mary answered may it be to me as you have said and then the angel left her listen do we really believe that nothing is impossible with god 10 of you do we really believe that nothing is impossible with god yes Yes. God is a miracle working God. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Do we really believe in the virgin birth? That's an impossibility. Can't happen scientifically. There's no way in the natural. But how many know God that created the universe There's no impossibilities with him. He is a miracle-working God, and he is a God of the supernatural. Listen to me this morning. You will never appreciate the Christmas story until you approach it with childlike faith. The word miracle itself crushes the pride of man. I'm going to explain that to you. The word miracle crushes the pride of man of man now how could mary accept this miracle that she's going to have the son of god inside of her we get a hint in luke 148 for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant part of mary's magnificat and so she is there and she says he has been mindful of the servants that's why the miracle works through mary because she's a humble person she is simply the handmaiden of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. That's why she becomes a candidate for God's great miracle. Mary is humble so she could be used for God's great miracle. Now what's it mean to be humble? Literally, humility has the idea of no thought of self. Doesn't mean I think too low of myself. That's a false humility. That's kind of a poor uh, degrading kind of humility that's really not humility at all, Or nor does it mean to think too highly of ourselves. Uh, it means if I am a humble person, I don't think of myself at all. I'm not self-absorbed. You understand what I'm saying? A proudful person is self-absorbed. All about me and what's going on with me and me, myself, and I. Pride is absorbed with self, but when you're absorbed with self, that competes with God. And God can't do a miracle in you as long as you are stuck on yourself. Is this, is this, are you getting this? This is really, really important. This is a, a great concept. We got we to. God can't do his miracle in you and through you until you are not self absorbed, but Christ absorbed. And he can't do it in us unless we are humble. If you're absorbed with self, you remember all the things that were done wrong to you. Oh, they hurt my feelings. Oh, they've been so mean. Oh, I don't like those guys because of what they did to me. That's a sign of pride. Sorry, just saying. Or if you're easily offended or you hold grudges, you're self-absorbed. It's pride. Humility focuses on God, and so whatever happens to me is of little consequence. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To put it another way, God can't do a miracle in you and through you if you're stuck on yourself. Got that? king james version he says behold the handmaid of the lord that simply means behold the servant of the lord and mary saw herself as a servant i am simply your servant lord whatever you want to do in me and through me may it be done unto me according to your word it's amazing what god can do with an ordinary girl who is focused on god and not on self and the same is true for us today it is absolutely amazing what god can do through us if we're focused on god and not on self you know, if, if I had been married, and no, I wouldn't. Have, that wouldn't have worked. But you know, just say, just just if we had been married, and and we're we're uh, we're tweeting or we're texting or we're we go into our Magnificat and we might have said, "I'm going to be the mother of Jesus Christ," and we would have Facebooked that all over the place. We would have tweeted it everywhere. Guess what, guys? I am the chosen one. I'm going to have the Messiah my soul doth magnify me right mary says he has regarded my lowly estate the most unlikely candidate is overwhelmed and just kind of breaks into this worship and praise for god and you see that in the rest of the chapter paul tells us something a little bit of a hint about who we are in terms of our relationship to christ he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels now let me translate that for you. All we are is clay pots. No, you don't put a, a beautiful flower in a pot and people walk by and say, my, isn't that pot gorgeous? That red clay pot. No, it's the flower that gets all the beauty. Paul says about us, we have a treasure in earthen vessels. It's not the clay pot. It's the flower. It's the treasure inside of the pot. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God has chosen the foolish Things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. The very fact that God chose you and God chose me is amazing. Because we are weak and we are dumb and we're not that great. But God still chose us and he allows us to be the containers for the glory of almighty God. That is amazing, my friends. God chose us. Oliver Cromwell was the head of the British Parliament. And it was wartime and he was faced with a shortage of silver. And, and finances to finance the war, and they're in an economic crisis. And so he sent his soldiers to the cathedrals, and there's cathedrals all around the, uh, England and all around the empire, and so he sends his soldiers to go out and find any silver they could find, especially in the cathedrals. And they came back and they said the silver could be found in the statues of all the saints that adorn the walls of those beautiful cathedrals. And Cromwell made this statement, good, melt the saints down and put them back into circulation. But that's exactly what God does with us. He melts us down. He melts self down. He humbles us. He breaks us down. And then he puts us in circulation. And he works his miracle through us. Unlikely people, unlikely candidates, people who are no good, to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. God gave Mary an amazing assignment to perform the miracle of the incarnation, the virgin birth, bringing God to man. Listen to this quotation John Maxwell. If God is going to do something wonderful, he starts with a problem. If God is going to do something spectacular, he starts with an impossibility. Isn't that great? If God is going to do something spectacular, he starts with an impossibility. With God, nothing is impossible. Now listen to me this morning. God wants to do the impossible in your life. He wants to come into your life messed up with sin, uh, lost on your way to hell, doing your own thing, self-absorbed, and he wants to do a miracle through you. And that first miracle starts with your acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest miracle that can ever happen to you will transpire in a moment. And you who are in the kingdom of darkness and on your way to hell will be translated into the kingdom of his marvelous light, and you will be highly favored, and you will have the grace of God all over you, and you will be on your way to heaven, and you will be a container of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. That's the miracle of salvation. That's the miracle that occurs every time somebody says, God, I need you, come into my life. But you have to accept his grace. You have to say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Yes, I believe in you. Yes, I want to receive you. Yes, come in and take my sins away. Even when men may turn against you and you may lose favor with man, you must always choose the favor of the Lord. And even when circumstances seem crazy and you don't understand what's going on and it's not the right time and it's not the right place and it doesn't all add up, I want to tell you, take a risk, but don't miss God's miracle. I want to tell you this morning, it's time for the impossible. And the impossible is God can save you. For with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. And he can save you and cleanse you and give you everlasting life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, if you're here today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. If you're here today and don't know Jesus Christ, you can ask him to come into your heart and life right now, wherever you're seated. Just say, God, I need you. Do your miracle in me. I want to receive your grace. I want to receive your life. Come into my heart and life today and change me. You pray a simple prayer like that and the Lord's going to come into you. Father, right now I thank you for everybody that is here today that you love. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcast and videos of our previous messages.